0: X-Ray.
1: Welcome to the Beervana Podcast. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. Here we are once again in North Portland at the studios of X-Ray FM. Now you know where you are. (laughs) I know where I am. Once I venture out from the southeast, I have no idea. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's just a long way. That's all I know. Yeah. Uh, We're in uh, North Portland at the studios of X-Ray FM to bring to you the fourth and final extra special super duper podcast 5x (laughs) quadruple quintuple extra special uh, podcast where we sit down for a conversation with uh key and interesting figures in the bend brewing scene as a part of our whole deep dive into bend beer excellent so today we're going to talk to paul arney founder brewer a spiritual guide of Ale Apothecary. <laughs> I think that's a
0: good way to describe him.
1: Yeah, so Ale Apothecary is probably about the smallest brewery we have visited. Yeah. It's uh, in uh, Bend, Oregon, as we talked about. Uh, Paul himself is an alumni of Deschutes Brewing. Yeah, as all of these
0: folks were, interestingly.
1: Yeah, uh, it's amazing how uh, one... Uh, foundational brewery can then start an entire scene, and probably nowhere is it more apparent than in Bend, Oregon. Right. We should introduce ourselves. You are Jeff Allworth. <laughs> we should introduce each other. We, you are <laughs> Jeff Allworth. Uh, you are the author of many, uh, many books, including The Beer Bible and The Widmer Way, uh, and uh, you will soon write The Beer Bible, uh, Part Two. That's true. The New Testament. <laughs> That's untrue. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you are keep Pat- that keep that in mind all right i i, I will i will definitely keep, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> keep that in mind um i no, i won't uh, uh you are patrick emerson you are a professor of economics at oregon state university oh got it right this time Good. i did go beeves. uh
1: and across from us of course is will Romy, hi Will. hi will <laughs> all right so uh we- i think i think he said something but we won't repeat it. <laughs> terrible This is the fourth uh, and last in the series of extra special uh, podcasts and the conversations. We actually had this conversation first. Paul was the first person we met as we trundled into town in Bend. Uh, But we saved him for last uh, because he is in many ways the most unique story out there uh, and uh, doesn't sort of follow the the cookie cutter. And so um, we shouldn't step on him. We should let him tell his own story and then we can uh, talk about him at the end. All right, let's listen to Paul and come back. All right, let's do.
0: We just arrived in Bend, Oregon, and we are at the tap room. Tap room or tasting room? Tasting room. Tasting room. I mean, room.
2: we do have we have four taps, five taps, including our hand pump now. But yeah, uh, <laughs> okay. it's more of a tasting room.
0: A t- the tasting room of uh, Ale Apothecary, and we're here with uh, the founder, Paul Arney. Um, Patrick's here. Say hello, Patrick.
1: Uh, hello, world. Yeah. I'm going to say hello, Patrick, but that <laughs> yeah. joke's been <in> used. <laughs> uh,
0: so, um, why don't you tell us? You've been in beer a while before you opened Ale Apothecary. Why don't you give us a little bit of your background before we start talking about your current project? Sure. Yeah. I mean,.
2: Uh... Brewing beer is really the only thing that I have ever done professionally. Probably the only thing I really know how to do, uh, <laughs> and is one of the main reasons that I I run a brewery. You know, it's like uh, you get older, and it's like limitations as far as um, where uh, where you can take these skills that you learn. They become more special, more specialized, and more specialized. You know, as time goes on. Um, my first brewing experience was with my father when I was, uh, 18, uh, homebrewing, you know, it's, uh, it's a good fond memory, you know, the actual act of making the beer, um, not so much drinking it, but the, you know, being with, with dad and he was trying to figure out he wasn't, he wasn't a big time homebrewer or anything. Um, but it was, it was very enjoyable. And then, um, I did what all, um, uh, my siblings uh, and uh, many of my friends did at the time we uh, we went through high school with the knowledge that we were going to college uh, with no real thought of why um, and so i came out of college with a geology degree because i i liked the outdoors i liked uh, i liked um, learning about the the natural world but trying to apply that to uh, a job and a career was was not sitting well with me um, and so i was working at a coffee shop and uh, this guy that would come in frequently uh, was a local brewer. Uh, his name was Tom Munoz, uh, Glacier Peak up in Everett, Washington. And he let me shadow him quite a bit, you know. And uh, he, was, he was very uh, – he gave me the connection to UC Davis and the brewing program down there right. where a lot of my uh, science uh, transferred over and I was able to sell my van and, and put myself through brew school. Um, which was great, it got my foot in the door, you know, but nowadays, um, when I meet and I talk with people in the industry, of course, if, if, if I could go back and do it over again, and if I would have known, I would have preferred to have started in the brewery and worked my way through um, learning all the different things. Because coming in, uh, in the brewing position with just an education, um, not only is it difficult to uh, kind of understand the nuts and bolts of how a brewery works, uh, but you're, you're not the most favorite person Either, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, but luckily I worked with a bunch of good guys who saw that I did indeed have some some values, and uh, there was not it, it, there wasn't any antagonism about that at all. But it was it was a learning curve for sure. Um, so I ended up getting a job at Deschutes Brewery in in nineteen ninety six. Okay, so that was the first brewery you started at. Uh, yeah, I did uh, I did um, a couple stints for free with friends. Like I had a friend up at Maritime Pacific. Uh-huh. I worked there for a little bit. Um, another friend who was working at uh, Red Hook, you know, just at the time when it's, you know, here I am a book learner besides my little homebrew thing anything and anything I could do to, to see the physical process and understand what it actually was meant to, to brew professionally, you know.
0: And how big was uh, Deschutes in 1996? Oh
2: gosh, I mean.
0: Was it still just the brew pub?
2: No, no. Brew pub, uh, the, the production plant opened in 93. Okay. Um, and at that point, we were, I mean, so we had the 50 barrel JV system, and I can't imagine it was any more than 30,000 barrels a year. You know? But still,
0: that's a big system.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was. It was, yeah, exactly. And I think that's, that's important to recognize, right? Yeah, that is a big system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: you didn't start out a, on a five-barrel system like a lot of brewers do. No, yeah. no, and fortunately,
2: you know, Deschutes had the pub with, the, you know, the 12-barrel system, and, oh. and we got to do, um, do time over there as well. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, the, uh, the early years, I had two stints at Deschutes Brewery, one to 2002-ish, and then 2004 to 2011. My wife and I quit our jobs where I had kids and traveled and um you know so I have a little break in there and it, it's a very for me it's very interesting to look back because it's, it's like working at two totally different breweries you know there's those early years which was like the, the the wild west of the craft brewing scene you know this 50 barrel jv system went totally manual everything was completely manual you had to have two brewers on shift to do everything and a lot of yelling down the stairs and <laughs> sliding down and running up and you know a lot of yelling um <laughs> but it was great you know and um to me that, that era encapsulated this, uh, this idea of what I felt it meant to be a brewer. We were the shepherds of the beer, right? I mean, the, the, it was such a, a rapid growth, uh, business and there, everybody was doing their best to do their jobs, but that there hadn't really been established, like who is in charge of quality, right. you know, because, uh, it started out as a brew pub and then they, they built a large brewery and everybody's kind of doing the same thing, but it's, that point it's different you know and, and so in those years the, the the brewers shouldered that and we took a lot of pride in it um and it was great to work with tightly with this group of of brewers determining that and and you know it was it was something we talked about all the time it Was
0: and then you came back so what, what was it came like back. when you came back well you
2: know then we had a when i came back we went from having the 50 barrel brew house and basically when i came back the uh that 200, 250-barrel Hoopman automated system was in. Seller um, had its own system, and they had problems talking to each other, but that was software stuff. Um, different brewmaster, you know, Larry was working at that time. Um, and the company had grown to the point where people did have uh, distinct responsibilities, and, and there was an organiza- organizational structure, which um, really helps, you know. I mean, it helped uh, avoid a lot of conflicts I was used to in, the, in let's say, the old brewery, you know. There was the old, the old days, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of confrontations, you know, not necessarily, um, angry ones or physical ones, but, uh, you know, just to get the job done. A lot of times it was, there was a bit of a tug of war and well, whose job is this exactly? And so coming back to that, um, let's say the, the new and improved Deschutesbury, it was, uh, it was nice because there was an org structure. People knew their roles. Um, the, the research and development phase of making beer was uh, something that I've, I fit into really nicely. You know, um, uh, That was when I, when I first started there, it was like everybody's dream as a brewer was to spend time at the pub and we'd spend all year making the recipes and we'd get to go down there for a couple months and, and knock it out. Um, and when I came back with uh, the way the system was, I was able to work myself into an assistant brewmaster position. Of, in charge of R&D and and was basically stationed at the pub um, training brewers and coming up with
0: recipes and it was uh, it was pretty awesome mm. you know so that's a very different approach to brewing beer and making beer than the one you currently have how did you when did you? you know if you're thinking about starting your own brewery I assume this is a thing that gestates over a period of time how did that develop in your mind and what were you, go, you know, what was going through your mind as you were thinking about starting your own brewery? Uh, well, it wasn't, it, it, it didn't, let's, let's,
2: okay, so um, I was, uh, we had three assistant brewmasters at the time, um, and I was uh, running the, the pub and involved in research and development and the beers available for, for the pub brewery down there. <clears throat> and because, as all good brewmasters should, Larry wanted his assistant brewmasters to know how the entire brewery works. Um, And so what that meant was rotating assistant brewmasters through the different jobs that were available, right? And so here I had the one at the pub. There was an assistant brewmaster in charge of brew houses, you know, so scheduling the brews and and, and, uh, managing the the brewers. And then there was an assistant brewmaster in charge of cellars, you know. And so that one was the one they wanted me to move into. And it had zero brewing Uh, I mean, it was, it was a desk job managing people and budgets and spreadsheets. And, um, it, it was not something I could bring myself to, to sign on to. And so, um, I gave them a long notice. I think I said, you know, I can give you guys three more months, but this is just, I totally understand where you're coming from. But for me personally, this isn't, this isn't going to, I can't do it. Yeah. Um, and so at that point it's like, oh shit, well, what what am I going to (laughs) do? You know, know, like, what, what do you do? And so, um. My wife and I had bought this piece of property up uh, west of Bend, um, and of course, when uh, when we bought it, I said, "Honey, don't worry. I'm I'm gonna work at the Brewery forever. <laughs> <laughs> Mortgage won't be an issue. You know all that stuff." And so it's like, well, you know, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? And um, it really didn't take too long to come up with a plan that um, I I enjoy history as just as an individual, and I think um, one of my draws to brewing um, maybe subconsciously has been this. Tie to history, you know. I always the, the the things I get excited about breweries aren't the most technologically savvy things. It's 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 the old stories about how people did things and and how stuff worked out. It just I I just very fascinated by that, and so um, understanding that uh, you know through this research and development position at the brewery, um, the interests of of people uh, with. You know, say, you know, at that time was like the Abyss and Dissident and these special releases we were doing. Um, they were really picking up steam and um, understanding uh, that the barrels were something that people identified with and um, felt very passionate about barrels. You know, I mean, it, a lot of times it's just the, the whole idea of it and people would see a barrel and they just, you know. I think that's built into our psyche as humans, right? Everything used to come in barrels. And so I don't know why, but everybody, we just love barrels, you know? So it's <laughs> like, if, if I just take these things that um, excite me about beer, um, and I go back to beer's origins, you know, like if the, the most traditional and the most uh, true thing I could do as a brewer to fall in the footsteps of previous brewers is to brew beer from a place, right? You, you have a limited supply of raw materials, um you have the uh, the place that supplies the water and and the yeast and the, and the character of the beers and then i've got my creative brewers brain right those are this is kind of what i this is my spiel now that i tell people it's like this authenticity of production right it's like where the beer is made what it's made of and and the process how it's made you know those those things are are something that that translate back in time right these all these styles we talk about didn't come out because people wanted to make a pale ale or they wanted to make an English bitter, they had a limited supply, right? And they're doing their best they can to make something tasty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, i have like, well, we've got this beautiful piece of property, and, you know, hopefully there's a, a decent yeast in the air, you know? Um, and we're in a, in an area where uh, beer is is thought of pretty highly, you know? Right. So let's just go for it. Because um, basically at that point, it's like, I'm going to just tie this to the property. I'm going to tie the, the brewery to the property. And if it works, we keep both. Right. And if not, well, I gave it my best shot. You know, it's easy to say like, like that now, <laughs> right? you know, but, um, yeah. yeah, it was, um, I, I didn't really think about it too terribly long. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's just do this. Cause you know, my wife wanted to stay and I didn't I didn't feel like going and getting another brewing job at a at a brewery destined for growth was my thing or getting another job at a pub. Like those are things that i I'd, I'd done.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: And so uh, so that's that's how I made the leap. I I took my 401k that uh, you know a number of years at issues brewery had done me pretty well and got a small loan from my dad and then um, built everything else by hand and really the concept was uh, to, to use barrels as much as possible. Like, you know, like we, uh, initially they were my mash tuns, uh, my fermenters, yeah, aging barrels, dry hop vessels, all that stuff, you know. Wow. And, you know, nowadays when, when you guys see the brewery, right, you'll see that we have punch for dry hop barrels and mm-hmm. the mash tun is actually a punch and we've got some plans to make a, a larger one out of wood, but um, we're trying to stay true to to the original the original vision, you know, as much as
1: possible. So, how do you translate that vision to consumers? How do they know? I mean, this is a beautiful space, and I love. By the way, I'm just transfixed of uh, the giant pictures you have on the wall, which show the brewing, the brew house, and the brewing process. But how do you, uh, how do you translate that, uh, your vision to consumers? That's a very good
2: question. <laughs> uh, you know, and I mean, this tasting room we've had. This is our uh, we're just over two years old now right so the brewery's eight years old and this is just two and so this has been tremendously helpful right so we refer to this as our flow chart wall (laughs) you know (laughs) and the reason that I put it up like this was so um our tasting room staff wouldn't be so burdened with because it is every time I feel like I'm talking to people it's just there's so much information and what what's important to you might not be what's important to Jeff and how do you do that and and honestly it's it's in a lot of ways, I initially set this up to be like uh, one of those destinations. Like, if you go traveling without an itinerary and you're someplace, and you're talking to people about, okay, I'm in this place. I'm not from around here. What do I do? Um, that people who end up here, it's kind of like this. Oh my gosh, I'd never, never had any idea, you know, and. Um, Early on the vision, it's really dreamy to think like that, right? And but to see it coming to fruition and like having it happen where a guy two blocks away comes in because his friend from Canada wants a couple beers from this brewery in his town and right. he's never heard of us. He walks in, he's like, "Okay, um, I live two blocks away. How 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 is it that you guys are here and I don't know about you, you know?" And um, I don't know. Like we're trying to figure out how do we communicate direct with the people, you know. Yeah. Luckily. You know, the old internet is very helpful for that. Yeah, right. People do a lot of talking. Yeah. Um, this picture is of our ale club. And so uh, our first year, it was about 100 people. And, you know, you know it's like a wine club, right? And I'm not right. sure you guys are familiar how these work. But uh, that group has been probably our best sales and marketing team Right. You know, hmm. yeah. um, but as far as the chat, the, the biggest challenge, I think is what, what you're getting out there too, is like, if we have our bottles on a shelf in a, in a retail establishment and the price is such, you know, expensive beer yeah. and the person running the retail shop might not either a, have the time or maybe not all the knowledge right. and somebody's standing there and they're like, well, what is it about this that, I mean... I'm I can't go to a bar and try this a little sample like am right. I gonna take the risk and buy this you know and yeah, right. so for me packaging has been very important Um and unfortunately, that also <laughs> drives the price up. But the way that the bottle looks has been a very important communication yeah. tool. Yeah. Um, we used to do the champagne knot um, in the early days. My wife and I, after the kids would go to bed, we would tie the knots. And that was <laughs> like, you know, that was, a, you know, I could have done a, a, a crown cap, right. you know, and made things a lot easier. But I really wanted people to see it and have it look different and evoke something, right. you know. Um, so the appearance has been very important. You know, and so uh, other than that, you know, trying to get information on the bottles, on the website, talking to people, you know, early on in my, uh, when it was just me and Connor, before we had a tasting room, mm-hmm. uh, people coming to town who wanted a brewery tour, I'd invite them up and they'd just come in the brewery and we'd hang out for a little while and um, surprisingly enough, that really, <laughs> that got a lot of information out there. Yeah. You yeah. know, people talked and
0: um, it's it's phenomenal, you know. So I want to go back. I'm really interested in that, too, and that's sparked a whole another line of in- inquiry. But I want to go back to the, the beer because um, the way you make the beer, there there are a lot of different ways to... Like, if, if you have the, the, the larger version of your vision, you could implement that in a lot of ways that look fairly similar. Uh, choosing only wooden vessels is uh, <laughs> uh, one of the most... Uh, challenging and certainly also one of the most antiquated things. I'm also a history nerd and I remember that uh, I read one of the biggest innovations in brewing happened when monks at a monastery I don't know, the European monastery somewhere figured out um, a metal vessel so that they could apply heat to it and it, and it, for the first time they had a large group of monks and so for the first time they were making, they were mass producing beer Okay, and you know we're still talking about a small brewery compared to what we have now but the, the capacity to put beer in a, in, a, in a metal vessel that you can heat with fire directly chain, was a radical innovation. Yeah, yeah. We're talking 2,000 years ago or something, you know, 1,500 years ago. So you've gone back to, that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're like, well, what, what did they, how did they make beer before that? Yeah. How do, yeah. How do I do that? So why did you choose the most labor intensive way to do this? Um, um, well, good question. <laughs> um, I mean, so. What, what captured your imagination? Y- y-
2: well, I mean, it had to do somewhat with uh this idea that the labor is important right as a brewer growing up as a brewer um, i feel very strongly that the brewer's place in the brewery is it's almost equal to a raw material like the brewer can be a raw material you know and so working at these breweries where that brewer gets reduced to a uh, a shift or uh, a computer program is something that I really wanted to avoid in this right so because what I'm trying to what I'm I, you know like this challenge of making this um, this quote-unquote high-end product uh that celebrates this history of the common man's beverage right there's here's another dichotomy right it's like it's i'm struggling through this but the the goal was it's like you know with the wine and with uh cider and some of these other alcohols it's more of an expression of the ground and and in this moment in time Mm -hmm. beautiful but you don't hear people talking about the vintner so much Mm -hmm. um with breweries people want to know the brewer the brewer has a different relationship and in my mind i'm making that transition and. We have to be part of this process, right? And historically, it was that brewer's brain that kind of developed the process that made the beer. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, uh, when this I was first putting this together, I was also very idealistic of that. But I'm still pretty idealistic. But <laughs> I didn't have anything to bump up against, right? right? And so I'm like, well, I am going to put governors into my brewery, right? I am not going to let this thing grow very fast. I'm going to make it a challenge. I'm going to, and I'm going to take all the education that I have. And try to do the right thing for the beer with as little infrastructure or capital investment as possible, yeah. right? So it takes me 40 hours to go from grinding grain to, to, to fermentation for the yeast, right? Where in a typical brewery, you can get that in six, yeah. you know? And uh, this is overnight, two different overnight rests and all that, which means that if we really want to brew a lot of beer... That's a challenge. That's a, you know, like yeah. the only real way to do that is to get larger vessels. I can't. I'm not going to be just having 24 hour. B- it's just not part of the deal. Um, and so there's a lot of these little growth governors built in. And um, part of the whole thing with wood was uh, also the fact that they harbor microbial growth, right? These microbes. And so I, I want these vessels to be living, right? They're trying to communicate to people that we could take – even if I could make the same exact beer out of my brew house all the time, as soon as we put them in two different barrels – They're going to be different right right there. And so, like, why not start that earlier, you know? Why don't we just try and, you know, because I think this this is, you know, I've been... Feeling a lot of questions about uh, lambic breweries and arborie and how we do things differently, and you know this lambic is all about blending, and that's like this final stage you're doing, right. where we, in my opinion, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to start really heavy on the front end, mm-hmm. and then trying to just get this thing moving in a direction, and based on the the effort that we put in early on, allow that thing to come to fruition and be its own deal at the end. We're we're trying to avoid blending, um, and so. I don't know. I, mean, I And so, like, the idea that the the brewery itself, like, I, mean, I also know that uh, from experience, right, from working at a 12-barrel uh, brew house and then a 50-barrel brew house and a 250-barrel brew house, <laughs> you can't just say, oh, here's a recipe. Go make the same beer in all three brew houses. and have sure. it. That's impossible, yeah. right? And so then the brew house also, just like the brewer, the brew house is an ingredient, yeah. an active ingredient mm-hmm. as well to create house character and all that as well, you know. Um, but barrels were something that I could... I could drill holes in, I could manipulate. I don't have a welding skill, I don't have the ability to do that stuff. Where wood, I'm not a great carpenter, but
0: I'm much better a carpenter than
2: a, a fabricator, you know. Interesting.
0: And when you, so now you have this big, I, this big concept, but you don't have beers yet. You could make, I'm sure you could make basically any kind of beer you want on this it would again not be a speedy process but sure
2: sure so yeah and if
0: you're drinking it fresh
2: would probably be if we wanted <laughs> to make some, you know a typical pale ale or something oh. yeah we'd have to drink it pretty quick
0: right <laughs> so how do you get from the brewery to the beers you make um meaning recipe not just recipe development but thinking through like what kind of beers do i want to make ah uh,
2: yeah okay um well so I mean, built into this was um, my realization that, you know, beer in general these days is this commodity, um, mass produced food, industrial food product, right? Mm-hmm. And so the way the breweries operate are much like the way the dairies are these big food producers. And you have to use a lot of chemicals. I mean, to get these things clean, like the sanitation levels are... Um, you know and I drink these beers and I like these beers but for me if I was going to invest in the brewery I wanted to make as natural beer as I could right and so and that's going to be that word and the definition of that word is, is mine you know right you're going to have yours and, and, and everything but for me the elimination of chemicals was really important right so we're, we're the brewery's on our property we're treating the property with uh, you know the septic system and some modifications made to it so that's all part of it but Intrinsically, I can't stand when I walk in a brewery and I smell sanitation, right? Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things these days when people come into my brewery or the cellar and they're like, oh my gosh, it smells so good in here. I'm like, yes, it does. (laughs) I love that, you know? Um, And so to me, that's like, okay, well, there I go. Um, Our beers are going to be basically sour beers. They're gonna be tart beers because I can't put myself in a position of getting beer to market fast enough and uh, to turn these things around to maintain a flavor profile, right? So I'm going to make – part of it was set up on the business model, right? I didn't want to have to fight for tap handle space. I didn't want to have to deal with a keg fleet. All that stuff, I was like – because at that time, it was just me. I was like, this is my retirement job. This is all I'm going to do. it be just me working till I'm 65, 70, 80 years old. Who knows? <laughs> you know? And this, this small. Like, I didn't know. But, you know – I, this brewery is built out of a lot of the things that I didn't want to have to deal with, right. Right, as well. Right. So, without kegs, without with all that stuff, like I can take these negatives and turn them into positives, and put beer in bottles and make uh, make beer that can be aged, right? So I don't, I can put beer in barrels and um, put them away and fill up my woodshed and and pull them out and um, and not have to be on the typical time frame of of, of a quick turnaround beer brewery, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, and so coming up with these recipes, right, I, some of these things that we do, I just, you know, like you were saying, I, I like... I like history and like going to Germany and, and understanding about how they make and use sour wort. Um or the you know how champagne bottles get carbonation and and how they rack them and lay them down and 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 develop that kind of flavor profile or dry hopping in in uh, English and um, well, Northwest breweries and you know all these things that I've kind of been fascinated with. It's like well I just took the pieces that I that I liked um, and and kind of with with another. Um, I didn't want to have these crazy malt bills. That was another thing. It's like my – the beers are going to – you know, each beer is going to have its own recipe including the barrel. Um, But the the malt bills are going to be simple. It's like we're not going to have like 6.3 pounds of this and 9.7 pounds of this. It's going to be like one bag of this, four bags of that and, you know, like – and – by and large, I've stuck to that. It's like uh, Seth up here at Mechagrade makes really, really good base malts that add a lot of character. So I can, I can use just you know his Pelton and some and some, uh, some wheat or his Venora and a little bit of rye. You know, it's like it's uh, the malt component is very important, but also I have to remember that these acid um, tart beers are also going to cut through a lot of that as well. Right. So, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I guess early on, to uh, you know, like. I was only gonna make one beer, right? So Saheli, the first beer that we made, was going to be the only beer I made. It's like, oh, but it's 2011. How do you differentiate yourself from all the other breweries?
0: And for people who don't know your beer, describe it.
2: Uh, It's about a 10% uh, golden wild ale uh, that's been dry hopped at barrel age for over a year. So it's got a lot of um, citrus, like a lemon zest, lemon pith, um, with a little bit of uh, funkiness from the... uh, um, you know, from our open fermentation, and then uh, when it's bottle conditioned with honey, you have this nice soft carbonation um, with a little residue of the honey flavor. It is nice; it balances it out. Um, so yeah, the uh, Saheli, because Orval at that time was very, it was like it's my, it's one of my pinnacle beers, you know. Yeah. And it's like the beer is available in the bottle. It tastes great fresh. You can age it. You know, it's got hops in there. You know, prominent hops. But it, you age it, and the beer changes. It's not available in draft. They don't make Orval light. They don't make whatever, (laughs) they make one thing. And it's like, oh, you know? So for a while there, I was like, we're going to be the there of all of America. You know, that's, that's my motto. Right? Going to just you're going to shoot,
0: shoot high, shoot high. Right. Yeah, exactly.
2: But you know, so then when I do finally have the first batch ready and you go out to, uh, to sell the beer and you walk in and you're telling people <coughs> your story and the guy's sitting at his desk doing stuff, he says, like, sounds great. Give me one case of everything you make. Right. i like, make one. <laughs> okay. Then I'll take one, you know, it's like, and it doesn't really bode well for creativity and, you know, so that, that quickly, you know, became not what I was doing, but for a while there, that was it. So Saheli was it. It was like, I wanted to make kind of like, you know, like in Belgium, when you think about their classic beers, it's like, um, I wanted to be very simple, um, but have as much house character as possible, you know? Mm -hmm. And also at the time, these high alcohol thing, like, uh, it seems that the, the brewing industry, the brewing consumer is able to, uh, Except the fact that some of these beers are expensive and high quality and low alcohol, which at the time I was not, I had too many friends who were like, dude, come on. I mean, if you're going to be spending a lot of money on it, you better have a lot of alcohol, right? right. So it's like, okay, you know, so that became another component of the beers we make, you know, generally they're higher alcohol than, than more of these other sour beers
0: too. Yeah. Yeah, That, that does make a lot of sense given the price point. Mm -hmm. It's weird how people Think that way, but they do. Yeah.
2: And I think honestly, it it helps us with aging too. You know, I think it's a better, better for our our people who like to lay the beer down for a
1: while. Right. So I have a a slightly tangential question, but I'm interested because uh, I have a younger brother who went to the Davis, did the the Davis Brewing Program. He's no longer in the industry after graduating to being a a, a reader of a computer screen. He decided. Uh, but it's the juxtaposition between what uh, I understand is the Dave, very scientific Davis program and you doing a very traditional brew house. Like, how, how do you experience? Is it do you find your academic training helpful anymore, or how does it? I don't. I mean,
2: honestly, uh, the the academic training for me was a lot of language. Right? Mm-hmm. How do these? How do we talk in this industry? Right. Um, and uh, you know, having resources as far as books and people that I can go to in times of questions. But um, when I started at Deschutes, I think, you know, back in, back then, when, any, when anybody would leave, though any brewer would leave, there was a shrine we had up in the corner, you know, and people <laughs> would put their little thing, oh, that was what so-and-so left or whatever. And when I left, I put my, my diploma from UC Davis up there because mm-hmm. I was like, the real training happens at the brewery. Yeah. And wow. honestly, I don't, I mean, that got me, they got me in the door, yeah. um, but I, you know, part of me feels that, uh, you know, like with food, it's like you can go really far with the science for for certain reasons, but right. to me, the magic isn't in the science, yes. you know. No, I think he feels
1: very similarly. The other thing that he felt is a lack of business training. Yeah. And so yeah. Uh, he, you know, he had considered doing what you, well, not exactly what you do, but trying to start his own brewery, but he felt very unprepared that way. Yeah. Um, so how did, how is it that, did you have a business plan before you started? No. To see the pants. We're still working on the business plan. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. I know. And I'm glad that we can all laugh about this. It right <laughs> yeah, could have been yeah. very differently. It could have been very differently. I mean, I think one thing that really helped was early on, um, my responsibilities were very little. Like, yeah. my wife uh, went back to work. She had not been working um, and taking care of the kids at home. Mm -hmm. Um, She went back and got a decent job. Um, And so for that first year, because I had my 401k and we were building it up at our property, you know, and I was doing a lot of the work, it wasn't like I had a huge financial burden. Um, You know, last year, the year, you know, the last two years when we've kind of fully fleshed out our employees and and having, you know, two spots downtown, I mean, it looks like one, but it's two separate spots down here. You know, that's where it's like the pressure kind of gets put on you to be like, we got to know what we're doing, you know. In a way that we didn't before and so that's why we two three weeks ago we've just launched our 375 mil bottles um because um as you guys probably know uh these days the large format bottles which was all we did we didn't do any k everything went in the 750s when we're getting feedback that it's like it's it's not just us it's just as a huge uh industrial thing those 22s and 750s just aren't moving anymore Like okay, what do we do, you know, no way, yeah. yeah. But um, it's been a really good exercise because it's like, what, what is it that we do, and how far are we willing to stray from our, my original idea? How do we keep the right. most important things? You know, right, right.
1: But accepting market realities. Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, I also wanted to ask you about the name. Oh sure, yes, of <laughs> course, yeah. That's very important. So, um, my dad grandpa and great-grandpa were all druggists okay um and it's kind of funny because my mom's dad and grandpa are on her side obviously but then my dad was a pharmacist as well so my mom who came from a line of two pharmacists married a pharmacist it's really odd (laughs) but um the word the word means that like the it was um kind of um attached to the 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 compounding chemist, right back in the medieval times, but the actual word, the root of that word, means shopkeeper, Mm -hmm. and it was very important to me because that was why I chose that. It's like to me, these guys that I knew um, and respected, uh, their community would come in their doors, and they would be behind the counter, and they would have a certain amount of knowledge that they could share, Mm -hmm. and um, and and be the face of their company. They were all, you know, they were all community members, Um, and so here I was used to being in breweries that are kind of more market face, you know, like mm-hmm. you don't, you right. don't see the, the inner workings of the people behind it. And so that's, that's kind of, that's mm-hmm. why use using, using blatantly stealing my family's history, <laughs> of applying it for my own selfish purposes. I know? don't
0: think it's theft if it's in the family. Right. Oh, good. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I'll tell you the first couple years, um, it was tough because we couldn't even put our name on the bottle, right? So the, the TTB wouldn't allow me to use the word apothecary ah. on the bottle because they were concerned that uh, people would think it was medicine or right. it would be confusing, ah. right? And so luckily that guy retired, and then we got someone with a little more common sense in there, and we're now able to put our name on there, and, which has been very helpful too. Yeah, Boy, Yeah. Uh, I know. would imagine
1: that's a yeah. useful thing. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, you do some cool, uh, unusual beers like your Sati, which um, is fascinating. Would you talk a little bit about why you started that and how you make that?
2: Yeah, sure. So um, we, we call it uh, Sahati because yes. it's not a traditional Sati as such. Um, the original Kurnas is, is right there in the corner. Oh, cool. Um, and so early on, talking to people, and I mean, this goes back to that initial question you guys were asking. It's like, how do you communicate this stuff? Like, um, And so... I found myself often people would ask me a question about my brewery and I'm trying to tell them they're like, Oh, you're a farmhouse brewery, you know, just Uh kind of this off. Okay. I know what you are. You're in this category. You're a farmhouse brewery. Uh And that would kind of frustrate me because it's like, we're not on a farm. Right. Um, (laughs) It's very far from, and you know, we do use farm ingredients, but that isn't my, the essence of my brewery. And about the same time I was learning about uh, Scandinavian brewing techniques and, and the use of the kerna um, where they would, you know, hollow out a tree y'all pre-industrial revolution stuff right just fascinating yeah. um and here we are we've live the breweries up in the woods we got these we got a lot of trees um and uh spruce is this kind of heritage american brewing ingredient it's like well you know um we can make a big deal out of this we cut a tree down invite our ale club up uh we make a beer and then it's like hopefully that helps communicate the idea well you know Spruce trees don't grow on farms, right? Big ones don't, you know, it's like, we're in the woods. We're a, we're a mountain brewery, right? Um, so that was kind of the, yeah. the concept. Um, and uh, so we ended up doing it, and it is it is the, like, I just went to this uh, beer fest in Italy. It's our third year there, and it's like, if anybody knows anything about our brewery, they're like, oh, you're the guy that brews in the tree. You know, it's like <laughs> the best marketing thing I could have ever done, you know? And it's it's been interesting because it, it's, it's very difficult to do, and when, when we got our um, copper kettle, um, we outgrew the log
0: uh-huh.
2: and at that point, oh, we're just going to get a bigger log and make another Kerna, yeah. which we ended up finding and getting it up to the brewery property was a challenge and, and we've been working on it for years. So you guys will see when we come up there. Okay. Um, but I think we're going to use it as a cool ship, oh. not as a Kerna oh, because, oh, uh, we need, we need, you know, again, more marketing. We need a cool ship. Like people... It's the same thing. It's like, oh, do you make spontaneous beer? Yeah, about half Some of our beer spontaneous. Some of it's this hybrid thing. Or do you have a cool ship? Well, no. And then it did turn off. Uh-huh. It's like, well, you know, maybe I should just say, yes, open barrels are cool ships, you know. And right. that's what we be. But um, what I've decided to do is we're going to try to use this giant tree as a cool ship because, yeah, we have a cool ship. Check it out. You know, <laughs> whoa,
0: there's a cool ship yeah, in the, the tree. The cool ship. Yeah. <laughs> we'll you know, so
2: there's that going on. But, um, and that will be
0: just microbiologically it'll be fast right yeah right (laughs) wow a wooden cool shit yeah okay
2: yeah exactly like oh geez you know why do i make things so difficult i don't know (laughs) i don't know i'm it's inspiring
0: i think it's a great idea i'm super fascinated great so yeah yeah, we'll have to see on the right track then we'll come back in a couple of years and find out what's what happened with that
2: yeah well with uh with uh the you know the old kernel and we what we've been doing now is we just uh the, the mash tun is a punch in with a stainless steel false bottom on it and so now we just uh we just take the the tree parts and and mash it in there uh-huh. and we get essentially the same thing uh-huh. you know yeah. and so that's what we're doing and um it's a good story and it's kind of like those champagne knots it's a uh, we call the, the sahati initially i called it the, our spectacle ale you know like wow you know right. and it 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 definitely served that purpose.
0: And do you do it like the fins do and dump the the mash in on top of the? That's what we did. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's
2: the yeah. app. And then all the, 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 branches act as that filtration medium. Uh-huh. And yeah, it was fun to learn because initially I, I built it and I had a bunch of barrel staves that I cut down and I made um, essentially like a false bottom I'm trying to improve this method, right? right. Thinking <laughs> that, okay. I'll have this like little channel underneath the bottom and I'll stack all these branches on there and it'll, it'll help the flow and all that. It didn't work at all. It's like, it's different. All the branches right. need to be intertwined with all the mash. And it, it just it's just a different process, you
0: know. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's cool to try those things and, and you see. Yep, yeah. and then you see. Yeah. Reinventing <laughs> the wheel, we're right. really good at that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Turns out sometimes the wheel works pretty well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, will you talk a little bit about some of the other unusual ingredients you use?
2: Sure, Yes. Yeah. so um, Primarily, if we can source stuff from around the brewery, and again, this is to create house character, right? The things that we can use that are that are nearby that speak of our place. Um, so we do a, a beer every year where we're harvesting uh, these little manzanita flowers and infusing them like you would dry hopping. Um, we do another beer where we're harvesting the black currant that grow on the creek. Um, and the cool thing about both those is we only can get enough material to make a very small amount so it's another growth governor right it's like right. these beers which are sometimes more some more impo- more popular ones i can't just say well let's make three times as much next year right. that's not possible um the other thing with you know like the kerna we use trees and you know so our ralph beer uses fir and then our sah- our saati Sahati uses spruce um when we're experimenting with ponderosa and, and lodgepole and all that um
0: and, and do you use the tips or what part do you use
2: uh typically it's like the last Two years growth. Okay. You know, we found that using just the fresh stuff is good for like dry hopping. Um, so we'll do like our sautéed latage dry hopped with spruce tips. But for structure, of the beers for the mashing and for boiling and all that, it's like it's good to get some of the resins in there as well. Mm. So we add a little. We like, the last couple of years. You know. Cool. Um, other than that, I mean, it's like fruits. Like if we were about getting ready to fruit season, and you know, this is something that that all breweries like to use. Is using fruit is great. Yeah. You know, and I think it um, other than that, it comes down to barrels and, and the, the, the equipment because um, I'm not I mean, I, I, anymore, I'm feeling like I'm much more of a, a um, I don't know. How would I say that? It's like a, I don't particularly stray to the point of using just anything like crazy ingredients. I mean, using trees are crazy and these manzanita and black Sure. But, you know, nowadays, I feel like some of these beers, uh, the list of ingredients are like, wow. That's crazy, you know, like uh, <laughs> yeah. it's pastry stouts and, and, and some of the – and that's fine, right? If people like that, that's fine. But I, it's funny to go from feeling like I was an extreme brewer to now <laughs> it's like I use kind of conventional – really,
0: my ingredients are pretty conventional, yeah. so to speak. So I know we need to wrap this up, but um, on that point, you know, there's, when you started eight years ago, there were a third as many breweries as there are now. And, yeah, And
2: then, I mean, sour beer
0: or wild beer is even even less. Right. So, was, you know, it was you had a, an education issue. You had to tell people what you were doing. So that was a challenge. But you uh, but you had a wider field and now people are more sophisticated. There are more sour beers, more people using different ingredients. But now there are many more of them. So how has that changed how you do business and. Is that, is that something you've noticed? In-
2: yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's real. It's it's real for sure. I mean, that's why we're going to smaller bottles. Uh-huh. Um, that's why we're bringing these, uh, what we're calling our um, young beers, our, our quick beers, six yeah. to nine month beers, you know, um, that aren't essentially sour. They're more farmhouse driven or style based. You know, we have a braggot and we've got a farmhouse and we we did this lager. We've got a punch in over there with uh, cooling coils in us. So we can ferment lager in a barrel, in a punch in, and then... Package it with our house yeast to so get this kind of hybrid beer. Cool. But those are things that we're all able to, to, to fit in this. We're calling it a universal, our, our universal series. Um, but beers that, that are style based and uh, still have locally sourced ingredients, still made in our process, but we're able to turn them around a little faster. Um, the biggest challenge, I think, is capturing people's attention, right? And so, like these days, uh, you know, I'm hearing other breweries and they're like, oh, we just try to get out as many you know, special releases as possible, new release every week, you know, and we don't, we can't do that. Yeah. So, uh, we're trying to build in as much content as we can. So we get people in here to try to give them as much about what we're about, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's a challenge for sure. I mean, our brewery isn't, uh, we're not on, uh, we're not on a massive growth plan, but at the same time we need to work to not be flat either.
0: Right. You know? Right. Well, uh, we can use that as a call to action for people to come, come to Bend. Yeah. Yeah. Check out the L. Apothecary. Uh, do you have anything else?
1: No, I think, uh, ready to see the brewery. Yeah. Let's go see the (laughs) brewery. So, uh,
0: thanks Paul Arnie and, uh, uh, we'll go see your brew now. And and if you're in Bend, you can come to the tasting room. What are your hours here? Uh, Wednesday through Sunday. Sunday's
2: like noon to five, uh, Wednesday through Saturday. It's one to eight. All right. So
0: come check it out uh, when you're in Bend. Thanks, thanks, you guys. I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Many thanks to Paul Arnie for spending time with us. Uh, he not only spent time with us at his tasting room which is in uh, West Bend and it's actually a nice uh, a nice little interesting space. you gotta you gotta look a little hard to find it but Google it and you'll find it. It's actually more
0: than a nice little space it's a really
1: wonderful little space. It's a really wonderful yeah and actually what's nice about it is that he's got this story that's a little difficult to tell as we as we talked to him about. And he's created this space that sort of helps you understand what they're all about. And it really does. A really nice picture wall that has a bunch of photos of both his brewery and things he does, Um, but just kind of... uh, uh, And then he also has his original uh, hollowed out log where he brewed his... Sahati? Thank you. Sahati. And do you remember what the log is called? No. No. But it's got a sign there. And in in fact, the sign is from some exhibit that it clearly sat in some... I don't know the High Desert Museum or somewhere around there. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, uh, it wasn't. It, uh, it looked like it had been uh, requisitioned for a short time to display.
0: And if you go peek around the corner, because you can see all the barrels, it also functions as his barrel room on the other side of the tasting room. So kind of yeah. give that a
1: look. So thank, thank, thanks to him for that. But it didn't stop there. No. Uh, we actually went up to his brewery. We went uh, deep into the woods, the uh, Deschutes National Deschutes Forest. In the Deschutes National Forest, uh, we went west from Bend up started heading up the hill into the forest and uh ended up at his brewery so why don't you describe brewery slash slash home yes. which i thought was pretty amazing
0: <laughs> uh yeah it's in part of his house that he has set up this amazing brewery um i have t- I've, I've interviewed paul before and you know i I've fo- I've followed what he's he's done for a while but i it really takes visiting the brewery to kind of have have it come home. How unusual that that brewery is. He yeah. he talked about uh, wood as being kind of the 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 medium the, that inspires him. And right. but I did not realize that he just has kind of standard uh, uh, wine barrels that function as his brewery. Right. So his mash tun is a barrel, and yep. it has in the base of it uh, the kind of. Uh, False bottom. False bottom. You have in, in some home brewing equipment like like you and I have. Right. Um, he's got uh, and then it, and then he does actually have a proper kettle because you have to have met, the, a metal. Yeah, the copper
1: copper kettle. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's a little tiny guy, and then that goes from there. It goes in the the beer goes into. Uh, other, oh, and I sh- and I should say that he he does these crazy long mashes. He does overnight mashes, right, in his in his wood, uh, which of course he's using the same mash tun over and over again. And you're mashing into it, so you're really inviting a lot of microbial activity. Right. So that's where that starts. And then, um, of course, it gets boiled, so it doesn't it doesn't stay alive when it's in the kettle. But um, then it goes into more wood where it's primary fermented, and that is all before it goes into the final. Wood where it is, uh, you know, ripens and ages and, and all that, and that that actually happens on the other side of the wall, of the tasting room. So that's the cool final piece to look at. But it's he's, right. he 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 described, I think, in the the interview, how long it took him to make a batch of beer. But it it really doesn't come home how crazy hands on <laughs> it is until you're there and you just look around that little tiny space and see, uh, you know, he doesn't that it's the smallest brewery I've ever seen. It's barely above a homebrew scale.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, that's right. Uh, one thing I want to point out, just because I don't want to forget this, but uh, the entrance to its brewery, which you can kind of imagine is kind of like a big garage in, in terms of the space, but the entrance to his brewery is these two ginormous wooden doors that were apparently some local uh, woodworker, artisan made for him. They must weigh hundreds of pounds. <laughs> when you <laughs> pull them open, it feels like entering a castle.
0: Yeah, they're really cool. They, they're... They put you in a mood of yeah the kind of I was place you're walking about into. to say
1: yeah it's very evocative they kind of put you in this and sort of take you back in time almost yeah uh, and that's kind of what he's trying to trying to do is sort of as he mentioned get back to the I can't remember exactly the words he used, but sort of the roots of brewing or you know just go back to sort of the what what he considers essential uh, and then uh, next door he's got this um, this big hollowed out log uh, that he's going to use as a cool ship. Yeah. Uh, and it's on wheels, so you can kind of pull it outside and get all of the uh, the local uh, what microfauna? Yeah, microflora. Fungus falls into a weird microfungi. I, it's not binary. Anyway. They're, they're, they're a non-binary creature. Anyway, the atmospheric uh, beasties that are gonna <laughs> <laughs> help them make beer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was uh, yeah, that was quite a quite a, a wonderful. Uh, little trip we took.
0: Yeah, it was. And I, I think, uh, it's worth mentioning something about Paul, which you get a real flavor of him through that interview, but it just continued his, his, uh, very interesting approach to beer, uh, continued as we were doing the tour. And he's, he's a, uh, he's such an avid guy, like the kind of beer he's making, um, is such an expression of the way he thinks about Beer and 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 making beer and being involved in beer, uh, and and that you couldn't imagine a more uh, a, a, a a brewing system that was more different from the uh, Deschutes Brewery that he left. You know, it was absolutely the opposite of that. It's it's almost a pre-industrial brewing system.
1: Yeah, in our overview pod, uh, we talked to John Arch, who didn't on tape say this, but uh, uh, mentioned that he sort of objects to the the term artisanal when it's when it speaks of uh, brewing because once you get any kind of scale, it really becomes more industrial than artisanal in his mind. Right. I'm not sure I 100 percent agree, but uh, certainly we all can agree that this is truly artisanal. And there's very few times I think when you can pick up a bottle and really feel like uh, this is a complete 100 percent expression of the brewer's uh, um, I don't know heart. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whatever you want. It. I mean, this is true with ale apothecary. I mean, you pick up a bottle and every ounce of that is is something about Paul in there Uh, yeah you said that thing in in the lead in it's something uh,
0: spiritual director or something it definitely feels like more than a business uh when he talks about it It, yeah it's like we i I think he has an artistic temperament he he struck me the whole thing struck me if it was like talking to an artist more than a brewer yeah he
1: knows it's a business and he has to you know he has to sell beer uh but yeah that's not i mean it seems very much that he wanted to just follow his heart yeah, and do it the way he wanted, and hopefully he'd find an audience, uh, and we hope so too. So far, so good.
0: Yeah, and and I think it's very helpful that he's got the new tasting room. I'm mean, new, new relative to his brewery, uh, that will allow people to engage it more easily. I mean, he he used to just sell in bottles in places that were not a focal point, and his brewery is his house, so he couldn't really you know have a lot of traffic out yeah, there.
1: Yeah, but you'll you'll get a really good sense by going to the tasting room, and it's one of the few. Places I can actually say that going to the tasting room is important, not just to taste the beer, but to really understand the whole project.
0: Yeah, and and we we have we mentioned at the start of this this series that Ben has a culture, which uh, so the the, the brew pub culture there is is fairly um, uniform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is if you're looking, you know, if you've been to a few breweries that uh, uh, offer the same kind of beers, and even if you're enjoying them, you're looking for a break. Um, Definitely check out Ale Apothecary because it w- it is definitely something different.
1: Yeah, I think yeah, definitely check it out. No matter what, it's something incredibly unique. Uh, uh, it's definitely worth the trip. Yeah, and it's yeah. not. You it's, know.
0: I mean, it's. I, I would say it's one. It should be one of your. If you if you have three stops, you should put it on, on your list. It's just, it's so interesting. Yeah, uh, you. It's a. It's basically a must see. You got to go there. Absolutely
1: okay well uh, once again thanks Paul for spending time with us uh, and uh, being so gracious a host and bringing us up to the mountains yes thank that, you that was really fun so a few words about going out a few words about going out uh, so kind if you're of. going out you should have shoes <laughs> um, if it's raining bring in an umbrella uh, alright let's try again a few words a few words going out please subscribe to us on iTunes SoundCloud Stitcher uh, Google Play wherever you get your uh, podcasts I'm sure you can subscribe I'm sure you can rate Review maybe? Definitely review. Five Do, stars, please. Doing so is is good for us. Uh, we'd love to hear from you too. Um, please send us your questions or comments. At the Jeff at BeervanaBlog.com. We have a dedicated Twitter. It is Beervana Pod. Yes, at Beervana Pod. At Beervana Pod. And you can message us that way. Jeff blogs at the Beervana blog and he tweets at Birvana. Patrick
0: tweets at Bironomics. And I, mean, I guess this ends our, our uh, foray into
1: Bend, so... There's nothing extra special about our pods anymore. <laughs> we're, back to, we're back to just <laughs> back the to normal the, ones. Back to the ordinary. Uh, but yeah, so if, you, if you're if you just uh, catching this one, there are three others. Um, this is the fourth in a series of uh, important seminal uh, foundational figures in Bend Brewing.
0: Yeah, and I hope that you had the same experience we did, which is uh, getting a sense of the diversity and, and kind of Absolutely. interesting characters and personalities that are... Resident there in band.
1: Yeah, you pick up a bottle of beer, you kind of think it's the same thing behind the scenes. It can be so different. Yeah. Uh, even, yeah. So uh, we hope you enjoyed them, uh, and uh, tune in next week for whatever comes next. That's right. <laughs> <We'll>, uh, <laughs> we have no idea. It's a mystery to us, too. That's right. It'll be, eh, it'll be all right. It'd probably be the normal crap. (laughs) That's that's right. Back to the normal crap. All right. Maybe this time, next week we'll have beer again. I hope so because I'm getting thirsty. Yeah. Yeah. Starting to get thirsty again. All right. We have no beer, so I'll just say uh, farewell to you, Jeff. Until next week.
0: Until next week. All right. See you, Patrick. Bye.